I don't think you trust in my self-righteous suicide. I cry when angels deserve to die. System of a down. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of The Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Svinsgaard, and along with me, please say hello to my good buddy and yours, Mr. AJ Mass. Why, hi, I am happy to be here. We probably should not be this peppy at the start of this particular <laughs> episode that is so dreary, but then again, it's criminal minds. Most of them are going to have some sort of drear in them so uh what are you gonna do you know what it came to listen to folks (laughs) Uh, that is right uh this is a podcast about the show criminal minds every single week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show i have never seen this show before this particular episode until just now so i'm giving you that first watch perspective and aj has seen each and every episode many a time so he will be giving you the grizzled veteran perspective as we like to say here about in these here parts here <laughs> so <laughs> exactly uh this week aj we are talking about season three episode 15 criminal minds this episode is entitled a higher power that's right that's right cube or above <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, this episode, you gotta love math jokes, by the way. (laughs) This episode was written by Michael Udeski and directed by Felix Alcala, and it originally aired on April 8th, 2008. Why don't we just get it started, AJ? What do you say? Let's do it. Let's do it. Off to Pittsburgh. Yes. It was a dark and stormy night in Pittsburgh, PA. (laughs) We see a woman has arrived home, and as she comes in uh, the house, she's on the phone talking with a friend. It becomes clear from the conversation right away as she's talking and as she's holding up a picture of her family. It becomes clear that she's unfortunately recently lost a daughter. She's uh, talking to her friend about this, but she's saying that her husband, Paul, has been better off than she has. He's a rock. He's, you know, his glass is always full, she says. So Paul is the optimistic one. She seems to be the one having the problems with the circumstances. I'm, I'm just I'm just so very thankful that she decided to uh, come into the house and call Exposition Hotline. Well, yeah. So that we could know everything that's going on in her world. <laughs> Yes, indeed. She's in the kitchen, still on the phone, and all of a sudden the uh, lights go out. So she hangs up. She doesn't say, hey, you know what? All my power has gone out. You know, I just thought it was odd. Like I would make I wouldn't just say goodbye. I would make a note that that things are going on. Yeah, it's also I mean, and I realized that people in horror movies don't know they're in horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> but the normal human thing to do is, 
oh, the power went out. Did your power go out too? Right. Right. Okay, okay. No, yours is still. Can, hey, tell you what, I just need to find a flashlight. Can you stay on the line with me until I make sure everything's okay? Like again, stay on the line with people when you've already been on the line with people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So anyway, she decides to call out for her husband Paul. She grabs a flashlight. Eventually, she make, makes her way upstairs. And as soon as you see the water on the floor under from under coming from under the bathroom door. You kind of know what to expect. It's nothing good. It's never good when there's water coming out from the bathroom. It it (laughs) usually involves some sort of naked female ghost. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I've seen The Shining. I've seen what lies beneath. (laughs) So she calls for her husband. There's no answer. So, of course, in a panic, she's able to quickly break in the door. AJ, I don't think I could break in a door as easily people do in in every movie. I I is I really just don't feel it myself. I don't know. I think maybe an internal door you could do. I don't think you could like break into a house, right? Morgan style with one kick. <laughs> but <laughs> I do think that with the adrenaline, you know, I mean, even if you haven't been injected with gamma rays and turned into the Hulk, I do right. think that. Internal doors, sure. I can see it. Yeah. So she breaks in, and unfortunately, Paul, her husband, is in the tub, and he is clearly dead. It looks like he's electrocuted himself. He has some kind of a a space heater or something in the tub with him. They will discuss that later. I just – I put toastered (laughs) as my – because yeah. it's just such the generic thing, and it was a cube space shaped object, so I assumed it was a toaster until I was corrected later on. But yeah, um, my my hackles went up a little bit at this point. Going, uh, but then how was the power on if it's still plugged in? <laughs> Wouldn't this has shorted out all the power in the house? Now it will be explained later, which we'll get yeah. to. But I, I was I was suspicious. Let's just say, yes. Very fair. So we see that the police have arrived now and we get this sort of time lapse effect of the scene transitioning from the original thing that she stumbled onto until it's become a crime scene. And there's now evidence tags up and time is passing. And uh, yeah, I see you, Felix. Good job. Let's move this along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let's just pass that time. And Alcala style. And um, we do see, finally, our local detective. Uh, We're going to learn quickly that his name is Ronnie Bellman. And uh, he's looking around the scene, and then he grabs his cell phone and gives a call. And it's to Agent Giroux. He doesn't know her personally, but a friend did give him her number and figures that she might be able to help the situation out. And he says, there's something going on in my town. Something's not right. Yeah, and good, good on him for knowing exactly who you're going to call. Not Ghostbusters, but Agent <laughs> Jennifer Giraffe. <laughs> so now we cut to the BAU office, and we do see a very short scene with Rossi and Hotch. And Hotch is telling him that he needs to take some PTO. He's got to go talk with Jack. He's got to let him know that uh, his daddy's not going to be around any longer. And... He's just, you know, he's done with Haley, it seems like. But how is Jack going to understand the whole situation? 
And Rossi basically just tells him, well, all you need to understand is that you love him. That's it. That's it. You're a good dad. You're going to be a good dad. You know, they have this conversation so many times. Like, what's going on? Well, you'll know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Rossi has a lot of confidence in Hutch. And before we, we leave the scene, the camera pans down and we do see a picture of Jack on Hotch's desk. And I feel like he is a little bit older, not a lot, but a little bit older than I would have imagined him to be at this point. Well, you're forgetting we had a six-month writing strike. <laughs> uh, true. So he's he's a good half year older than, than you would have expected had this played out normally. So next we head over to the conference room and JJ is going over this case that she's gotten. To put it together, apparently there were 14 kids that unfortunately died in a fire in a rec center in, in Pittsburgh. But after that fire, there have been five suicides of uh, basically family members, or I'm assuming it was all parents, but I, I wrote family members of... Uh, yeah. There's been five suicides, and all of them have been linked to that fire where the 14 kids were killed. The suicides were all two weeks apart, so seems like there's a pattern being established. And she mentions that the last uh, suicide was Paul Bailman, and he was electrocuted in the bathtub. And they've been called in on the local police has called in to ask that for some help. And Morgan wants to know why are they even involved. As usual, the why are we involved in this case uh, argument happens frequently on this show. <laughs> no, I will say, if JJ had said, this is case in Honolulu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you think Morgan would be as quick to say, well, why are we going? I don't want to. <laughs> uh, yes. He doesn't want to be the fish that saves Pittsburgh. Sorry, folks. I'm just... <laughs> I and can't Pisces got the power. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he wants to know why we're going to get involved in this since it's suicide, suicides. And again, they point out the pattern to Morgan. You know, they're all two weeks of each other. And besides, Detective Bailman of Pittsburgh Police Department thinks something's going on. And Morgan immediately picks up on the name and he goes, <laughs> oh, well, of course. Yes, the cop has the same name as the victim, and it turns out that they are indeed brothers. So Morgan is just like, well, obviously, you know, his brother killed himself and he doesn't want us to, you know, he doesn't want to believe it. So, you know, he wants us to get involved. Prentice and Reed starts to say that it, you know, it does sound suspicious and there's reasons why. And, and finally, they sort of persuade Rossi that there's good enough reason to check this out. And uh, Rossi, while he's saying all this, he is looking out of the office window and spying with his little eye, Hotch, <laughs> leaving the scene. And he looks at that with a dramatic look. And then we cut to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Now, I didn't want to interrupt the song and not sing. I did have one note about that Pat previous scene, though. It's just whoever works at the BAU, it, 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 someone in that department can't read, can't write, because behind them there was this huge, complicated case, which we had not seen this case. It had to do with truckers and some sort of impounding of. of 
what the convoy was bringing and everything. But right behind Emily's head said trucks, S-I-E-Z-E-D, size. <laughs> and they kept cutting back to Every time they cut back to her, I'm like, man, that's right in shot. You couldn't, and it's in big letters. <laughs> Spell the damn thing right. <laughs> Sorry, the copy editor in me just cringed every time they cut to Emily. <laughs> Trucks sized. <laughs> so next we see our BAU jet flying and Rossi gives us our opening quote. There is no refuge from confession, but suicide and suicide is confession. Oh, Daniel Webster. <laughs> Go ahead, Daniel Webster. And uh, so on the flight, we have Morgan still doubting that they even have a case. And he even drops a line. Like if it was hot, she wouldn't have took this case. And <laughs> Rossi is like, you know what? We're just going to treat this like it's any other case. We're going to follow the facts without bias. And Morgan is like, uh, what case? We don't have any files <laughs> or anything to go on. There is no case. And Rossi says, okay, well, here's the facts. And the whole team, besides Morgan, is sort of spouting this out. We have five suicides connected to the original fire. All were two weeks apart. There's a timeline established. There was so much grief for some suicide might be the only way out. Or perhaps, Rossi says, someone decided it was and made it, to, made it look that way. Morgan is like, oh, this would have to be one very smart unsub. And they start saying, well, who would target people in grief? Maybe someone that felt, JJ says, that they were putting them out of their misery. And Reed says, so we're dealing with an angel of death. Mm, mm, mm. Much better than the angel of Harlem, because <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then, then, then the plane would start to rattle and hum and all that good stuff. I, there, was a, there was a good opportunity here for a little more personality and, and, and conflict based on the characters we know. And I, I wish they would have gone there because I, I wish, because again, why is Morgan being such a sourpuss? I, I wish JJ would have just said, just admit it, Morgan, you just don't want to go to Pittsburgh. And he would have said, yeah. well, nothing, nothing good ever came out of Pittsburgh. She's like, I'm from near Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> it is a perfect opportunity for that, but no, they didn't, they didn't do it. <laughs> they didn't go there. No. Instead, we next cut to our team arriving at the police station, and uh, they make their intros with Detective Bailman. He thanks them for coming. Doesn't seem like any of the other people there are all that excited to see the BAU team. Dang <laughs> or, face. Yes. <laughs> or they, they don't even seem to know that they're – they seem to agree with Morgan that there is no case uh, is the sort of look that they're getting. Reed starts to say that he wants to look at the files on all of the suicide victims. He's going to do what he calls psychological autopsies, and that can determine if the victims killed themselves or not. And the uh, rest of the team says that, well, they're going to go over and look at the detective's brother's house. And the detective, he wants to go with them because it is his case. But they basically tell him, no, you, first of all, there is no case yet. And also, you'd be too biased. We need to have this, you know, be clean. We need to do our profile clean. I mean, he should know this. I know he's, he's in yeah. a way, but come on, man. And he doesn't argue, but I mean, he does get the short straw. He's like, so you guys are going to go out and I'm going to be stuck with, yay, reading. <laughs> yes. 
And of course, our friend Dr. Reed says uh, to the detective, you know, you can help me with these files. There's a lot of them here. And we can tell, we know because we know it's Reed that he doesn't really need the detective to help him with the files. He's just trying to get his mind off not being able to go with the rest of the guys. Yeah. It's like, okay, you start with that box over in the corner and I'll meet you in about five minutes. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll be done. Detective does give Reed a journal that his brother had. And he says, check that last page. It really does not seem suicidal at all. And JJ thinks that uh, he's pretty sure that an unsub must exist. And the detective says, well, so do you guys. I mean, you are here after all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's going to take that, their presence as proof. But, you know, uh, that's where Morgan should give everybody told you so looks and he doesn't. <laughs> and then we go over to Paul Bailman's house and the team is arriving. Morgan and Prentice head upstairs to check out that scene. And Rossi talks to Mrs. Bailman. He's asking her about the fire. And she's talking about it. It started at the rec center. Uh, there was a dance there. A bunch of kids wanted to go. And, it, you know, it was supposed to be this great event. They were all excited for it. And Rossi continues to ask her if she knew any of the families who lost children. And also um, that then went on to have suicides. And she's she's just she can't even think about this. She's just starts saying Paul wouldn't do this. Oh, she does some great whisper acting here. This yeah. actress, because it's like, yeah, I thought he was gonna do it and pull it off. But yeah, I, I, I liked her, her, her acting. But when they get these people for like two line roles, they usually knock it out of the park. That's true. That is true. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't leave them. He he wasn't like that. And uh, when he first when she first started talking, she mentioned that he wasn't on antidepressants. He wasn't depressed. It's just not something this guy seems like he would do. Yeah. Oh, like I said, the, the thing is, is that what, what you do when you cast an actress like this, who's able to pull that off, it's like, you know, she starts off. Well, he wasn't on the other. OK, that she's been coached by <laughs> by right. Bailman to, to what to say. But. You know, when then she gets emotions like, okay, no, she's she's being honest. I, I, I yep. like I like how you can give evidence to the viewer without actually, you know, coming right out and saying, Oh, I think she's lying. Oh, now I think she's sincere. They do that so often on the show. It's like just let let us feel what we're gonna feel. Right. So we go back to the police station and Reed and JJ are going over the profiles of the various suicides with the detective, and he's like are you sure that this is uh, accurate, that you can actually determine uh, how a death was suicide? And Reed points out that this particular method, since it was invented back in 1958, has been proven to carry a 92% accuracy rate in the cases that have gone to trial. So, yes, it should be accurate, is, is what he's saying. Um, we come back to the Bailman house and join Prentice and Morgan in the bathroom. They're saying that the door was locked from the inside, but the unsub perhaps could have gotten out through the window. Morgan takes a look at it, says, okay, there's a 20 foot drop, but yeah, it's possible. He could have left this way. And Prentice then is noting that the electrical outlet is the old kind of electrical outlet. 
It doesn't have the GFI on it, the grounding, the third prong, as I would usually say. Uh, <laughs> um, not, not a third prong, the, the orange button <laughs> or the right. red button. Yeah, but I feel you. Yeah. yeah, it's old style. And so she did notice that the kitchen had some the grounding GFI on it, but not here in the bathroom and uh, Morgan says, well, I put them in all of my properties, especially in the bathroom and the kitchen. Uh, any surge in the current will shut the power down at the source. So now that sort of answers what we were talking about before. Yeah, it's like because you figure you, know, you, you take a space heater into the, into the tub, zzz, there's not going to be power in the house. But OK, the GFI wasn't there, so it was able to run until the lightning knocked it out. Oof. <laughs> That's a long time for him to be fried. He probably should have been more fried than he was. Mm-hmm. One thing Prentice did pick up on what Morgan just said was the word properties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, she asks him about that. And Morgan admits that he has four. Anyway, the person that threw the space heater in the tub must have known there was no GFI. So then they go downstairs to ask Mrs. Bellman what Paul did for a living. And she says, oh, he was a contractor. And they look at each other. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's like, well, maybe there is a case. Well, maybe there isn't a case. <laughs> Get one in the left hand now, but here's one for the right hand. Exactly. Uh, we go back to the police station and Detective Bellman uh, is saying, well, based on Reed's psychological autopsies, uh, I think I probably should inform the media right away what's going on. And JJ is like, no, you need to chill out until we have absolute proof of anything before you say anything. And the detective is like, people need to know. <laughs> and JJ is like, and they will as soon as we have the proof. Do I need to repeat myself? Uh, <laughs> and the detective is like, even if that proof means that there's another body and he gets all mad and walks out and JJ's thinking about it. And she's like, well, he's right. And Reed says, yeah, but he's personally motivated though. And he's very likely to react to everything irrationally. And JJ says, well, if it turns out that this is a serial killer, the whole town will as well. We next cut to a home and there is a mother feeding a cute little toddler and talking to him, talking to him about maybe growing up to be a football player. Uh, she calls him Jakey. He's sitting in his high chair and it's very cute. And then all of a sudden the doorbell rings. So she gets up to go to the door. Uh, she clearly knows whoever it is she lets in, but we don't see him. It's sort of cut off at the head. So we just see his his torso and his legs. Yeah, it's the unsub's going to remain a mystery. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course, he's obviously clearly the unsub. So she tells Jakey to say hi to her visitor. And then she says to him, she's got his bag in the other room. I was trying to figure out for a while what that meant, but it basically gave her an excuse to step out of the room. But as she and the unsub step out of the room, instead of following them, the camera focuses in on Jakey. And then we can see it staying on Jakey and Felix is up to his time lapse tricks again <laughs> because we can see clearly that time is passing. The light changes. And then finally, we just see 
that the toddler is crying. The camera pulls out and we can see sort of a split screen view of the other room. And the mother's body is there hanging from a rope. And we go to a break. Very effective. Uh, I will say now, Felix, if you're going to do this, can you take a little bit of juice out of the cup each time instead of leaving it full the whole time? There's no way that toddler would not have (laughs) finished (laughs) all that juice by now. Probably thrown it on the floor, to be honest, if I remember when I had a toddler. But okay, cool. It worked. It It was creepy and sad at the same time. So after a break, we're back at this new crime scene and and Morgan and Prentice are there and uh, Morgan is talking to her. She seems a bit, Prentice seems a bit distracted, a bit off, if you will. And Morgan asks her about it and she says, no, she's okay. So Morgan starts to go try to walk through what might have happened. He says, okay, say there is a bad guy in the house. What would you do to protect your kid? And Prentice thinks about it and she says, oh, I'd fight. And that's correct. That's what you would do to protect your kid. However, there aren't any defensive wounds on the body. No indication that she was in any kind of fight. And Princess says, well, she wouldn't climb up there on her own free will. And Morgan says, "Uh, unless she was actually committing suicide, (laughs) which, yes, we know what you think, Morgan. And uh, Princess is like, with a baby crying in uh, in the other room? Meanwhile, we go inside the house and JJ is talking to Rossi. She's saying the father came home, found the child in the high chair. And Rossi is saying that the child was clearly of no importance to the unsub. Uh, He checks with Reed if there was a suicide note. Reed hasn't found one. There's also no evidence of any kind of a struggle. And Rossi says there's no sign of any breaking and entering. So he tells JJ that her and Emily should uh, tell all of the families affected by the fire, let them know what's going on. They really need to be warned. Outside, back with Morgan and Prentice, Morgan is saying, look, Emily, she she snapped. It happens. She just decided to kill herself. And Emily uh, argues that the this woman's home isn't organized when they went to see the last guy, you know, everything was disheveled and, and, and clearly looked like someone that was going through something. This woman's home is organized. It's, it just seems to have indicated that she's moved on with her life and gotten past whatever the trauma was. Yeah. I mean, specifically, she said, like, you know, there were, there were photos of the past in the other house and the past was organized and the present was in disarray. And here right. it's like the house was just equally organized obviously she's got a she's got a baby it's not going to be organized but nonetheless, yeah it's like the past was and the present were given equal weight which means there's hope for the future i i I thought that was a very cool way of putting it i hadn't heard that before morgan says okay well fine then how did she get up there without fighting and emily starts to speculate maybe she was already dead but the thing with that theory is a dead weight would be much heavier, harder to get up there. Hence the expression. <laughs> yes. Dead weight, yes. <laughs> um, so back in the house, they're talking about how did this unsub get in? And Reed says that Beth, who is our mother, it took us a while to get her name, but it's Beth. She had to have let him in. And then Rossi is thinking about it and said, well, they all let him in. We cut to print back to Prentice, and she's saying, 
So she fixes them both some drinks, and then he drugs her. That's got to be it. So that gets her motivated to call Garcia and have Garcia look for a drug that would temporarily paralyze or subdue someone, but something that would not show up in any of the toxicology reports. I mean, when did, when did, uh, when did Penelope Garcia become an expert <laughs> on pharmaceutical? Yeah. I mean, she can clickety-clack, hey, let's look for, for the, for the phenophene. <laughs> okay, but like, hey, can you figure out if there's a drug? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So next we go back to the police station. Oh, one more, one more thing before we go back to the police station. Yeah. So, and Garcia, it's a weird because this is not something like that you couldn't just have edited out, but Garcia has what appear to be suicide notes up on her screen right. and there's yeah. one front and center and then they cut to Emily and cut back to Garcia and she hits a button and calls up the note that was just up. It's like, that, that's just a stupid, stupid continuity error. It's like, why would you have, right. why would you put a close-up of a note, cut away from her, cut to her, and have her open the note that you just did a close-up of? Like, that's that's just poor, poor editing. Boo, bad job. And they had just said that there was no note found at this scene, and suddenly we've got every, oh, there's a note at every scene. Like, it's fine that there were notes at every scene, but... Talk about it. Like, well, that could have been an argument for Morgan. Like, well, there were notes I'd ever seen. So I don't know what they're doing here. Like, now it's also like, you didn't just discover these notes. It's just weird. Yeah, good point. So now we go back to the police station and J.J. Reed and Detective Bellman are taking a look at the psychological profiles. Everything is up on on the board now. And uh, they bring up that there was one case of a jumper who left a note. And it was clearly written by her own hand, and she is expressing regret in this note. But Reed points out that he's done his handwriting analysis, and her writing says the opposite of that regret. It was actually very optimistic, enthusiastic even, not indicative of someone who would then go and jump off of a five-story building. JJ starts to tell the detective, you know, even if we had alerted the media, would it would have been not had any effect on this. And and the detective is like, yeah, but now we'll never know. And he says, you know what, this is that's on me. But now that we have this proof that they weren't suicides, uh, we're good to go and alert the media, right? And Reed is like, we can't prove that the notes were coerced because these don't seem to be like words you would generally use. And um, when the detective asks him if he's checked his journal, his brother's journal yet, Reed starts to say he hasn't. And the detective is like, so that's a no. So now we can inform the media. And JJ is like, oh, well, I already have. And I wonder what that whole scene was about. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay. Yeah, JJ's already told the media. So uh, I guess we just needed to see the detective have that moment. I, I suppose. I, I think it comes into the end of the episode. You have this here for what we, we get at the end. We'll get to it then. But yeah, it, it is. It is. We were. Yeah, exactly. We already knew Bailman was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, now we have proof. We'll do it. Cool. It's all good. But yeah. 
Look, look, look. They already felt the need to tack on the the front and back <laughs> uh, Hotch going to talk to Jack bumpers, which meant that this episode was already light. We've, we're, this is already a montage type of episode, so you know it's light. It's very light. And again, you got to cut them a little bit of slack because these were this last week and this week were the first two after the writer's strike was over and they had to kind of rush these. So all things considered, I think they did a good job with this episode filling a full a full hour's worth of television considering they were rushed. But yeah, there's you could tell this was rushed. I, I have to just also let you know that I actually have the word montage written in my notes somewhere here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I'm on the same uh, wavelength as you uh, here. Anyhow, we are then t- taken outside because Morgan has come and gathered the rest of the team, says, I, you guys got to see something. I got, I got something. To, to, I need you outside, basically. And uh, when we get outside, we see that Hotch has now arrived. And so they all start to go over the details of the case with him. The details being that this unsub seems to be targeting grief. And as Reed is going over his next little part, we do see video of an unsub taking a drink. Then looking at a wall calendar where we see name tags with names crossed out on them, like business cards for support groups, um, various meeting times, various lists of names. An obituary, that sort of thing. That's pretty much what we see on this guy's uh, little board here. And Reed is saying that there was a single event that caused this guy to end the life of someone he believed had to die. And then from that moment, he rationalized this by targeting folks who he felt couldn't be saved by anyone other than him. He had a sense of his own sort of morality that he sort of invented what was right and what was wrong. And since he decides, you know, who lives and who dies, he gets a sense of power out of it. He's not likely to stop this anytime soon. He's convinced he's on a mission of mercy. And even if he's caught, he'll say that he did nothing wrong. And yes, they are looking for a white male. They say mid to late thirties. He's going to be charming, forthcoming, doesn't stand out. These families are all letting him in somehow. And Bellman says, well, my brother and wife wouldn't be letting anyone in. They, in fact, they were closing themselves off. They tell him, like, look, this unsub has found a way in, one that's very hard to trace. In every single case, there was no evidence of a struggle, no attempt to escape. This guy must find a personal connection and use it to buy time. And Bellman says, well, my, my officers need to know this. And I was thinking that, too, because it did seem like a profile scene. But why weren't we doing a profile scene for ah, this? Well, they'll tell you. <laughs> and they will tell me right now. Uh, Hotch says that they found that angels of mercy often tend to be people either in the medical profession, also law enforcement. And uh, Bellman is like, ah, cops. And yes, that is why they're meeting outside right now. They're just fishing for people, for for information, people who could be, they don't want to point any fingers at anyone. And Bellman is like, I don't care. Point the finger. Like he doesn't, Bellman literally does not give a damn and even says that. And Hotch says, you know what? If that is what it's about, we need to figure out where to point that finger. So give us a little space here. 
Meanwhile, Reed says he's that he's asked Garcia to check in to all the remer- emergency responders at the scene of the fi- that were around at the fire. Prentice says, uh, "Look, this guy is smart. He knows about these people's schedules, their routines." Morgan says, "If this unsub does exist, so he's still in that mode. <laughs> if he exists, this is a guy who's all about control. He chooses how they die, when they die." positions them exactly how he wants to, them to die. So he's hypervigilant. He's always on the lookout, risk-averse, unseen. Prentice says, well, the only way to stop him is to find out how he's managed to get into all of his victims' lives. So if they find that out, then they've found their killer. So Hotch says, yep, we can start bringing people in, try to figure out the connection. Yeah, this scene is way too long. But <laughs> uh, find the connection, find the killer. Yeah, it's like, save the cheerleader, save the world. Uh, <laughs> I wish they would have framed this one uh, uh, more with like what Morgan was saying. Like, Mor- I- I'm fine with Morgan saying there ain't, you know, this is Morgan's mindset the entire episode. Nope, I don't see a case. Like, all right, if there's an unsub, what would we be looking for? Let's do the profile on this hypothetical. Let's assume there's an unsub. What will we be looking for? Do we do we see anyone that matches this profile? Like that would be where I wish this went. It's how they act anyway, but it's just this whole. Well, I think there's I think there's a there's an unsub. I don't think there's an unsub, and let's just stand out here and not do anything about it and just argue. Like it's, it's almost there. It's almost cooked. Again, needed needed a couple more rewrites. <laughs> exactly. So we next cut to what appears to be a support group, like an AA-style meeting. And we see a man there saying he hasn't had a drink in three weeks and four days. This guy lost his son, Ben, in the fire. He hasn't even been able to go see the Little League team uh, that his son was on play. People, you know, are encouraging them to do that because it'll help him move on. And he just, he can't, he can't get around to doing that. Then we see next sort of a, a light montage of the team meeting with various parents of fire victims, we assume. And they're letting them know they believe there may be a serial killer out there making it appear like his victims are committing suicide and that he is targeting specifically the families affected by the fire. He believes that he's an angel of mercy helping his victims to move on. They probably know this person. They're going to need to try to look into every part of these people's lives to try to find this guy. And we see the the uh, last family we see talking to Prentice and JJ. The mom seems a bit hostile, I would say, or not hostile, but just she's sort of not into the scene and she's sort of looking down and yeah, and sort of snapping I, her answers. I just kind of called her dreary zombie mom because, <laughs> like, she's not hearing them at all. She's just, and if she does hear them, it's more like, yeah, like right. you care, <laughs> like you know what I'm going through. Like, 
there's a lot of that going on there. So it's yeah, and the dad is like, "Honey, they're just trying to do their jobs." You know, he's trying to you know yeah make peace. And most importantly, they have uh, one of uh, Jakey aged friends there. Uh, their 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 son is like squirmy wormy, and she's just completely apathetic to this child Not the paying whole time. Any attention? So, right. Like yeah, it's like clearly this is the end of the montage, so it's the one we have to pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. However, they can't think of anyone that would be out there trying to kill them. You know, that it doesn't sound like anybody that they that they know. So thanks for the warning, but they they leave. And Prentice does make that same note that we just did, that the mother could not even look at their son. She couldn't hold him or anything. We next cut to see our man who was at the AA meeting and Clearly, he has mustered up the courage or whatever it takes to go to the Little League game. He's sitting on some bleachers. And a man comes up to him and asks if he minds if he sits by him. Um, He says, sure. And then that other man looks at him as he sits down and says, so you made it. Step 10, continue to take the personal inventory. So now we understand that this man, who is probably our unsub, And uh, I wrote in question mark in my notes, his AA sponsor, Uh, because I thought maybe he was his sponsor because he seemed to know him. You know, he sat down. Well, we saw we saw him at the meeting very briefly. It's one of those brief flashes. And you don't know who if you don't know who you're looking for, then obviously you don't notice that he's there. But he he was at the meeting. So. Right. uh, Quick shot. But yeah, that's a totally legit except for the fact that. I don't know. I, he's not exactly warm to him when he sits down. He's like, yeah, I can't, I can't sit down, right. whatever. But like, you would think that if he was a sponsor, like, oh, hi, Jerry, you found me here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good point. Uh, so then we see Garcia, who's called Morgan and Rossi, and she has probably the breakthrough of the case. She figured out that they must be looking for a neuromuscular agent. And Rossi has to let Morgan know that that's a paralytic. I thought that was kind of strange, but okay, fine. Well, the whole scene's strange, but finish finish it. (laughs) Yeah. Garcia says, yeah, and she names a few big word drugs that I'm not going to attempt to even pronounce. And she says that those particular drugs would uh, metabolize in the body so quickly that they wouldn't be detectable. And so she decided to call up the coroner and ask how would you do how would you use these drugs on someone and the coroner told her by injection so she had him check beth smuller's body and he was able to find the incriminating mark a very small hole right in her hairline and on her scalp so they asked her if you would have to be some kind of a medical professional to to do this and she says no anybody could do this uh, you can get these drugs apparently online, easy. And uh, the thing about these these drugs, like she said, since they metabolize, they leave no trace. Also, the other thing she found out that was interesting was though the drugs paralyze all your muscles, you would still be remaining awake during this whole thing. So basically what's happening is the unsub is sedating them and then setting up the suicide scenario, so to speak. He isn't looking for the glory of the kill, but 
the victims are wide awake when he decides it's time for them to move on. So that seems particularly cruel. Yeah, it is. I get you. You need to find a way to get Garcia into this case, um, but this is this is such an easy easy thing to do. Just like, hmm, what are you thinking, Emily? Ah, oh, I'm thinking maybe maybe he was poisoned or something. Like, okay, well let's go to the coroner. Hey, well there was no traces in it. Yeah, but could he have injected something? Oh, I'll check for a yeah right here. I don't know what he used because there's no trace, but it probably was apparently like. One trip to the coroner's office and you cover this entire material the same way without Garcia suddenly have to be being fully up on the latest paralytics and, and neuromuscular injections out there. It's it just, and I called the coroner like, no, Garcia did not call the coroner. I mean, not that she's not capable <laughs> yeah. of, but that's not something she does. It's, it's silly. Agreed. We cut to our next Scene, we see a syringe that must have contained the aforementioned drug, and we see our unsub. Now we know what he looks like, and he's talking to Curtis, who is the father that we saw at the Little League game. Curtis is sort of slumped in a seat, in a chair. He can't move, and our unsub is giving him basically a little monologue about, I know you wanted it to end. You know, your sadness is overwhelming. And you look to me and I, I knew what you wanted me to do. And I'm sorry it took me this long, but I'm here now. You can let it go, Curtis. And then we see his gloved hand holding the gun. And we hear a gunshot as we go to a break. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think he's not going to have to go to any more Little League games. <laughs> so we come back to... Too soon? The, <laughs> yeah. We come back to the crime scene, AJ, and there's a corner type there going over the gunshot wound with Rossi, who also has him check. And they do indeed find a needle mark in his hairline. Rossi asks Morgan, who's walking in, if this guy left a note. And now Morgan has the note and he tells Rossi, all right, I'm in now. And it's like, huh? And Morgan now believes that there is an unsub. Right. And again, he believes because of the coroner, but the coroner could have just as easily. They could they have a seat with the coroner. <laughs> uh, uh, never mind. It's, uh, just, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to Prentice and Reed, and they're going over all of the suicide notes that they have. And they've. They're noting that all of these suicide notes have the same kind of tone to them, and none of them seem to be forced. And in fact, in Curtis's note, he doesn't even say goodbye. It doesn't appear to have been written to anyone. And Reed finally gets an idea. He says, you know what? I think these aren't really notes to someone. I think they are amends that these people are making to themselves. This is what it sounds like. It seems like they're written as part of some program. Like uh, some self-help groups out there ask you to write your amends to yourself. And then, of course, we flash very quickly to see a similar support group. And there's our unsub who's sitting next to another man and they're writing out their amends. Yeah, I did think it was the one thing that the episode did nicely here is that they 
when Reed says this, he immediately like pulls back and gets real shy and embarrassed even. And you're just right. like, uh, Reed is He's... still affected by the whole Vanderbeek incident and the, the drug use that he was addicted to. And you know, you know that he kind of feels like he revealed a little too much there. And I, I thought that was really cool to do again, all in just one little quick shot, one reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me think immediately, oh, uh, Reed has some familiarity with these support groups and what they make you do. And, and we know why. Uh, it, it, it works. Exactly. It's like we didn't drop the ball on a storyline. I, I, I liked it. Again, you don't have to be over, hit, hit us over the head with it and blink and you miss it, but it makes sense. So we cut to another Garcia scene and Garcia is trying to tell them how impossible it is to narrow this down. Like, for example, just for that particular night, there are 91 such groups that were just for alcoholics, not all the, any of the other categories, just AA groups meeting around the Pittsburgh area. And Reed explains, you know, look, there's different meetings day and night. They have different locations. There's different degrees of participation, he says, different amounts of religiousness, <laughs> religiousnessness. Religiosity can't would say be that. the word you should have yes. used. <laughs> yes. And uh, so Garcia has sent them a schedule of meetings, though, for the major different types of groups, that being alcohol, drug, depression, and loss, within a two-mile radius of the Shady Side area. Was that the name of the... The rec center, the shady side. I, I couldn't figure out what I, that. I don't. I hadn't heard that. I thought. I don't remember. Again, this episode was written so poorly in many parts that the, the details just don't quite jive with me here. Uh, you know, I, I I like the fact that Garcia's like, okay, look, guys, like I I can give you a list of stuff, but like I can't predict where he's going. That's your job. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, like we, we don't know, but I, I you know, and then. Uh, Bailman just not understanding the anonymous part of AA. Right. He wants a list of names. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Come on. Like, I, I get that you're, you know, partially invested in this, but it's AA is not a new concept <laughs> in the 2000s. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so they do tell Bellman to rally the troops because they're going to need help to go search all these uh, groups and meetings. And then next, this is where I wrote the word montage, because we have another mont- montage scene. Uh, the team is split up and they're t- talking to various support groups, trying to find if there's anyone who sticks out. And of course, you know, it's kind of a tough sell. It doesn't seem like they're getting too far because everybody kind of sticks out at these sort of meetings with their various <laughs> individual stories. Yeah. Although finally, after we see a few cuts of them talking to people who don't help whatsoever, <laughs> we see Rossi talking to one guy who did remember a guy that brought up suicide, and he talked about his brother's suicide, brother's suicide, and it was very intense. Uh, he was saying his family was so poor that the brothers shared the same bedroom until they were fifteen, and we cut back to the police department. And it turns out that many of the groups had this same guy sharing the same story. So clearly this guy has been moving from group to group. His story was his name was Peter and his dad was a professor at Broussard. And the father would come into their bedroom 
And very sadly, he would get into bed with his older brother, James, and molest him while Peter would pretend to be asleep. And Hotch says, well, this could be what started our unsub on his mission of mercy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because it's start, but no shit, Hotch. <laughs> <laughs> this could be it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, we cut to see Peter himself telling his story to a support group and finishing the story off. One night he came into their room. And he found James there. He had slashed his wrists. There was blood everywhere. And when he looked James in the eye, he knew that he had to let him go. Uh, So now the team has two names. They have James and Peter. And they have Broussard University. So Garcia should definitely be able to clickety-clack something up. And so she starts to clickety-clack. Yes. Rossi says that if the unsub's father really taught at Broussard, that's going to make him a local. They're very keen on pointing out that it's somebody local. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's almost always somebody local, AJ. Well, okay, but almost. In, in, in fairness, uh, if if they've narrowed it down to someone who's attending AA meetings in the local area, <laughs> then he's probably local. I mean, he can't, he's not doing this remotely. Uh, maybe that was just there to let those of us who didn't know Broussard oh, University uh, no, I, is fair. local to, to Pittsburgh. That's fair. Because <laughs> I didn't know that. No, I didn't but, either. And I didn't bother looking up if, if it was even real. But like, you know, you you can do that real easily. Just say Broussard. That's like, right. You know, just have the local cocko Broussard. Yeah. My cousin went to Broussard. <laughs> so, you know, right. You can do that without hammering it over, you know, our heads. But yeah, it, it's just like. Yeah, it's it's local. You said he knows these people. He watches these people. He gets into their lives. He's not doing that flying in from St. Louis on the weekend. <laughs> exactly. Reed makes like a little <clears throat> noise. Rossi asks him what's up. And he says, uh, angels of mercy. You know, they repeat the same event over and over again. So if this guy's story is true, he's leaving a, a key piece of information out. The event that started it all. Reed thinks that his brother didn't kill himself, that Peter actually killed him. Angel of Mercy, hello. Angel of Mercy. (laughs) And then what must have happened is that this recent fire caused so much grief and suffering. It was like the trigger that started this guy again. Um, So he targeted someone that he believed needed his help. You know, he started off killing, making killings two weeks apart. But now the last two kills were just days apart. So he is, what is it, Criminal Minds, folks? Devolving. Oh, no. <laughs> I like how we, if if you watch the show, unless it's your first time, you sort of got all the lingo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, devolving. You know it yeah. by now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, uh, again, this is uh, just needed a little more tightening here because it's like, so probably the trigger was this fire because it was similar to what? Like it was nothing similar to this event. I understand that that something triggered him, and that's as good a thing as any. But it's been so long since it actually happened. Yeah. Like this is the first trigger. Like it, it's just it's missing something. It's missing something. But whatever. 
So Garcia has quickly clacked and she found an article from 1984 from the Broussard newspaper about the suicide. Yes, it's in the Broussard newspaper because apparently the family lived on the campus. James Redding was the youngest suicide in Pennsylvania history. And his father, the creep, as Garcia puts it, Charles Redding, was a professor at Broussard. And of course, during this whole time, Garcia has also been multitasking and is able to send them Peter Broussard, uh, Peter Broussard, <laughs> Peter Redding's current address. So then, of course, we cut immediately to the police and FBI arriving at the unsub's house and busting in. Morgan does not do the door kick this time. I double checked as I as I am now want to do. It was a random FBI person. They bust in and they search throughout the house, but Peter is not home. So they say, okay, well, we've got to work fast. He's probably at a meeting now. And Prentice has opened a little hatch and found Peter's calendar grid with all the support group meetings helpfully laid out. And they also note that they see all the crossed off name tags and all the crossed off names. Uh, For example, Beth and Curtis, they're now crossed out. But there's one name left, AJ, Lori Ann Morris. That's the lady they spoke to, the mother that wasn't paying attention to her kid. Zombie mom, yeah. So she is not crossed off the list yet, but she's got to be next. That's fair. It, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a list per se uh, of like, uh, and then then I'll be done. It's just she's next, like you said. <laughs> we then cut to a support group meeting, and Lorianne is speaking. She's saying, "Hi, my name is Lorianne," and the group says, "Hi, Lorianne," and we see that our unsub Peter is indeed there. We cut to a break, and we come back from the break. The cops and NBAU team are leaving Peter's house. Emily tries to reach Lorianne's cell phone, but she can't reach her. So she then calls her husband, Jonathan. She asks if he can tell them where Lorianne is. And they do get that info and they speed off. They do. And this, again, this scene is unnecessary. Um, And I don't think it was necessarily even written. To be honest, it was like, I think they got there like, oh, crap, how, how, how are they going to know which meeting to go to? Well, maybe she could have called her husband because she could have just they could have just been driving like I got the address of the meeting she's going to from her husband as opposed to having to have us listen to. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> is this is Emily from the FBI? Yeah. Is Lorianne with you? <laughs> oh, she isn't. Do you know where she might happen to be? OK, <laughs> Bye. Like, as if the husband were like, why, what's wrong? <laughs> like, she wouldn't have had to explain that for, like, a few minutes. Like, why are you calling me? Did something happen to Lorianne? <laughs> like, there's no way the conversation I mean, went yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you were, yeah, you did reference that we might be attacked by a serial killer just a few hours or whenever it was a little while ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. was not that calm on his end. Like, Hi, <laughs> yeah, this is me from the FBI. Yeah, is Laurie with you? Oh, no, she isn't. Do you know where she is? Okay, cool. Talk to you later, bye. So we cut back to the support group meeting, and we're actually outside at this moment, and Peter comes out, and Laurieanne is there. She's smoking a cigarette. Peter engages in some polite, supportive chit-chat with her 
and uh, says he, oh, he's late and starts walking off uh, toward the parking lot. Uh, she looks at her cigarette and throws it down because of what he just said, you know, his little supportive chat and uh, walks towards her car, which is in the same direction. We cut to inside the building and now they're showing Lorianne's picture. Furiously, we see several people. Oh, no, I don't know. that. I don't know who that is. Uh, and so we're cutting back and forth between that. I mean, that action. She went from she went from the meeting just ended and walked to the parking lot. <laughs> I got to tell you, AJ, I was thinking this building has to be huge with tons of different things going right. on in it. It's usually like a church uh, with like one meeting room or you know, some sort of community center with like maybe two or three meeting rooms. But yeah, they this is this is the palace, palatial <laughs> state of Versailles. They walked into an expo center. Uh, <laughs> and what's, what's, even, what's even worse, what's even crazier is eventually, eventually they'll be like, when they do find out, I think she just went to the parking lot. They're like, all right, there are three exits to the parking lot. You take the north, you take what? the south. Like, just go to the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, <laughs> so we cut back to the car. And uh, she's Lorianne is seeing that Peter is at his car. Apparently, he's got a flat tire. Cut to a little bit more searching by the team. Cut back to Lorianne. She's pulled up by Peter. She suggests AAA, but he says it's expired. Don't worry about him. He'll figure something out. Cut back inside the building. And a lady is telling them, oh, yeah, Lorianne. Yeah, yeah. She, well, she doesn't say her name because it's anonymous. But, oh, no, they do, <laughs> no, say, they do know no, her no, name. They, they do yeah, know Lorianne. Yes, it's anonymous. To the, you don't have to sign <laughs> off or anything, but you, you they usually do. Right. My, hi, my name is Joe. It's not like my name is Joe Smith of 17 Harrison <laughs> right. Street. Right. But uh, so this lady, she tells them, yeah, she was there just a minute ago and she headed out towards the parking lot. And, yes, she was talking with some guy. And yes, this is where they, okay, oh, parking lot. Okay, three exits toward the parking lot, north, south, west. And and they get they got to split up to check all these various different exits. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, we cut, cut back to Lorianne. She's offering Peter a ride. She's telling him to hop in the back. There's no problem. AJ, at this point, I was thinking, okay, she was warned previously about the serial killer. I think I got the feeling that she knew that maybe this guy was the unsub and she was maybe thinking about maybe I should just let him go ahead and do what he does. Mm, Interesting. I don't think that's the case. I think it was more she really doesn't trust anyone to begin with, but the slashing of his tires seemed really genuine and I think she was just like... I guess I should help this guy, even because even though I'm so in my own despair and everything, I, I, I actually think he just charmed her. Um, but because she was aware, once he pulls the gun on her, <laughs> then she's just right. really like, "Oh, okay, this is the idiot," and now I'm just pissed at him. <laughs> so yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, well, <laughs> the next second, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and. Intercut with all this, and this is exactly what I wrote down, we get various shots of the team searching this, what must be this huge Disney World-sized parking lot. 
or perhaps not. But Lorianne starts up a car. Peter puts his hand on her shoulder, tells her, you know, hey, I can help you. And she's like, help me. Help me with what? He says, with the pain of never being able to hold your son. And yes, he holds his gun at her and tells her she just has to let it go. And Lorianne is saying, is that what you did for all those other people? Meanwhile, we see Prentice and Rossi have spotted her car uh, because somebody told them it was a, a blue Chevy. And they start running toward it, calling out her name, Lorianne, Lorianne. And in the car, Peter is saying, yes, yes, I did. I did for those other people. I did for them what they couldn't. And Prentice is shouting out Lorianne. And Lorianne says to Peter, you think you can help me? And Peter says, yes. All of a sudden, she slams on the gas and starts driving forward. Prentice and Rossi are chasing after her. I guess everybody's chasing after by the speed of which they appear once she finally crashes the car into like a little storage building. I mean, they they must be exhausted the miles they had to run to find her in this expansive parking lot. (laughs) Yes. And uh, so now everybody else is around the car after she's crashed it. Morgan politely asks Peter to kindly remove himself from the backseat. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, He Morgans Peter out of the backseat. Get out! And Peter is uh, saying he didn't do anything at all. And Morgan is telling him, yeah, well, you just took your last breath as a free Mm. man. Lame, 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 Morgan. That was was a lame one. That was not a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it pretty much sucked. And and quite uh, frankly, I mean... Not for nothing, but he didn't really do anything in this one. I mean, he pulled the gun on her, so he's going away regardless. But in this particular instance, he didn't get a chance to do it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't have my syringe ready because Lorianne was quick on the on the gas pedal, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, so Peter's arrested and we cut to a bit later and Lorianne is there. She's fine. She's sitting at the on the edge of the uh, ambulance and Prentice comes up to her. And she is sitting there again, dead zombie, zombie mom, look to her eye. Prentice comes up to her and says that she's going to be okay. And Lorianne is just like, will I? And so Prentice has to give her a little talk, a little, hey, you know what? A mother isn't supposed to outlive her children. But you know what? She's gone. Allie is dead. And Lorianne is just like, I don't care anymore. Prentice looks over and there's her son with her husband. And she says, but your son does care. Don't lose him as well. So I guess Prentice has now helped Lorianne out of her. Uh, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Uh, I get why Emily's the one to talk to her because Emily's the one who was concerned for the baby earlier. And she was the one who talked to her and she, the first time. But wouldn't Hotch be able to make this argument a little better? Being the father of a son who needs him? Like, I, that could have tied everything up right then and there. Look, your son's still alive. Trust me, I know. <laughs> you know? Right. I'm going, I'm going through, through something. it. You need to be. Uh, yeah. Rewrite! <laughs> Writer's strike! <laughs> so we next go to the police station the next morning and detective Barman comes up to the team. He wants to thank them for all, all the work that they did and for believing in him. 
when no one else did. But they have some news for him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> AJ. no. Uh, it turns out, Ronnie, we read your brother's journal, did that uh, profile on him, and he wasn't murdered. <laughs> Unlike all the other victims, Paul's name wasn't anywhere there to be found in Peter's apartment. Yeah, it appears that he just killed himself. <laughs> Uh, basically. And Ronnie's like, no, no, I don't, I don't believe you. You're wrong. Uh, but like I said, thanks for coming. Have a good day, sir. Yeah. Well, okay, look, look uh, uh, it's almost a, it's almost a comedy twist ending. <laughs> um, you're like, da, 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 da. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but they, they seeded this throughout. That's the point for having all these scenes earlier is that, you know, he's like, ah, well, was my brother's note? equally wrong well i haven't looked at it yet so i can't tell you that no he doesn't involve the group of course the thing that they should have said here i mean yes he was not on his list he took souvenirs and he put he crossed out the names your brother's name is not crossed out here but they had him say like no my brother my brother they they and his wife they weren't outgoing they weren't letting anybody in they stayed at home they locked the doors which means he wasn't attending self-help meetings which means he couldn't have been a victim uh for that and we did. We checked. We had the coroner look at him. There's no injections. <laughs> like, like, yeah, ugh, that's what it is. There's no injections. He, he clearly he killed himself. Like everything's pointing towards it. But they even let him off the hook with that. He himself yeah. was arguing that no, he didn't encounter this on subs. Yeah, yeah. See, you see it. You see it. I know you're going to be blind to it. And you don't want to see it. But you know. he's not going to admit it. But this I just is think what that, again, that could have been written a, a little better. You know. Yeah, he could have even come to that. He's like, "Was my brother's name on the list?" It's like, "Like, no, we didn't find anything." You want to know what I thought about his 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 diary? Like, no, I know the truth. Thank you for coming. But like, that would have been perfect, right? Leave it a little ambiguous. I would prefer that. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, AJ. That would have been <laughs> that would have been better. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, get one last scene. We're on the jet going home. We get our quote. Uh, this time it's Prentice giving us the quote. And she says, The most authentic thing about us is our capacity to create, to overcome, to endure, to transform, to love, and to be greater than our suffering. Ben Okri. And then we see Rossi asking Hotch Hunt with, with Jack. And Hotch says he just told him that he wasn't going to be around as much. And Rossi asks how he took it. And he says uh, he gave me a hug. And he said that everything was going to be all right. To which Rossi just says, smart kid, like his dad. Which was nice. And then we go over to Morgan talking to Prentice. And he's... Saying, so tell me back at the house when we found Beth Smaller, you know, like what was up with that? And Prentice says, I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder, you know, if we're actually changing anything. And Morgan asks her, does she know why he has four properties? She says, tell me. And he says, if I'm not kicking down doors. And I literally <laughs> cheered when he said that. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not kicking down doors, 
I'm smashing down walls. At the end of the day, they both make me feel like I'm changing something for the better. Good enough. And Prentice says, good enough. And I actually like that line, that little insight on, on, on Morgan and, uh, and, and Prentice there. And our episode yeah, ends. It's, it's, this was a good way to recover from the previous scene, which I didn't think was written well. Because it's just like, well, do you believe that, you're, that we're, we're helping people and making a change? doesn't matter that we're actually not. <laughs> yeah, right. So do you believe your brother committed suicide? It doesn't matter <laughs> that he did. Believe what you want right. if it makes you feel better. Like, it's at least like, hey, if you, if you feel that you're making a change, then you are. Like uh, evidence to the contrary, <laughs> right? It's complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very complicated. But you got to live with yourself, and if that's what helps you live with yourself, then by all means, right? Well, AJ, that was our episode. What do we think? Uh, let's pull out our old barometer that we do at the end of each episode and determine. If we feel the BAU team has won the week or lost the week, AJ, what I think, do you think we're going to have to put this in the W column. Uh, even in spite of the fact that they had members of the team who took the day off, members of the team who didn't believe there was an unsub <laughs> to be found in the first place. Heck, they made Garcia do most of the heavy lifting investigation. Nevertheless, it really, because they investigated it and actually armed one of the potential victims with the knowledge that she was in danger, she took care of it herself. <laughs> therefore, <laughs> right. therefore, I'm giving them the W uh, because they caught the unsub but without really having to do much of the heavy lifting. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I, I'll agree with you there. The other thing we like to do at the end of our episodes, AJ, is what I like to call three questions, a short little quiz, if you will, inspired by the episode we just watched. What do you have for us this week? All right, let us talk a little trivia here. Question number one. So uh, Scott Michael Campbell, who played our unsub Peter in this episode, thought that he was an angel of mercy. Currently, you can turn on your TV right now and see Scott Michael Campbell talking about angels on what television miniseries where he is playing Brigham Young. Oh, God. Oh, what is that called? <laughs> no points for just knowing a co-star. <laughs> oh. Uh, <sighs> AJ, it's going to annoy me. I just, I can't name it. I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Brigham Young. Uh, what is that? Uh, I don't remember what it's called. AJ, just tell me. I'm not right, even going to well, One of those angels might be named Moroni. It is that Andrew Garfield, study of <laughs> Mormons and fundamentalism, called Under the Banner of Heaven. Yes. Yep. It is. It is. You are it correct. Is. Absolutely. <laughs> ah, man. 
I wasn't going to get that one. But you knew what I was talking about, so it was it was reachable. It was in reach. I d- Here's one that might be in a little uh, little more reach. We'll see. So let's talk about our weepy zombie mom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jennifer Aspen, uh, who played Lori Ann in this episode, one of her previous roles was a reluctant mother. Yes, she played Daphne Jablonski, a part-time stripper with a heart of gold, who ends up having a baby with one of the main characters on what late 1990s drama? Uh, Daphne. Mm-hmm. Late 1990s drama. Joined the show late in its run. Part-time stripper. I'm just trying to think of the timing on the years for a couple of shows where I think they might have part-time strippers. Uh, I'm not sure if the timing is right on this one, but I'm going to say, was that that? Oh, I don't remember if that was a particular plot point, but I'm going to guess The Sopranos. Ooh, the Sopranos. That is a very good guess. Very good guess. Uh, it is not correct, but is it? Bada bing. Very good guess. No, no, this was a child that made the party a little bigger. <laughs> this was Party of Five. Mm. She uh, gets with Charlie. I watched maybe the first season of Party of Five. I didn't continue Party of Five. <laughs> it was quite the party. <laughs> and uh, spoiler oh, well. at some point down the road, I think we've got, uh, what, we're in season three, right? Oh, we've got a good seven seasons away before we get a Party of Five regular on the show here. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh for 2. Oh for 2. But you know what? All comes down yeah. to the final question anyway, because the only question that really matters. My favorite question each week. Kazad, what will the plot of our next episode? Criminal Minds, season three. Episode 16, entitled An Elephant's Memory. An Elephant's Memory B. What will that plot be? Is it A? A bomb goes off in a small Texas town, setting off a chain reaction of murder that Reed and the rest of the BAU will long remember. Is it B? Do you remember way back in the pilot episode when DJ Qualls was arrested by the BAU? Well, the writers do, (laughs) and his character has now escaped from prison and is ready for revenge. (laughs) Is it C? The BAU team gets stuck in an elevator during a blackout. So to help pass the time, they begin to reminisce about a case they worked during a similar blackout years ago. Or is it D, the key to catching a killer in Michigan rests in the clickety-clack of Garcia, who must dig through the data on a massive flash drive found at the scene of the latest crime. Hmm. AJ, I've quickly narrowed my choices down to either choice A or choice D. And I will tell you why I have counted out 
the other sure. two choices. I've counted out DJ Qualls coming back because I would enjoy that <laughs> so much and and look forward to something like that. And I don't think Criminal Minds tends to give me what I want until I don't expect it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't think it's going to be Criminal Minds. And with similar logic, I would love the elevator scene, but don't think that that I, that I'm going to get it. I think it's going to be something, not that the other two don't sound interesting, but they sound a little more like, okay, just sort of a normal Criminal Minds case sure. to me. So I, I, I have it at that. Now, our first choice A was a bomb, you a said? A bomb going off in a small Texas town, setting off a chain reaction of murder. Chain reaction of or, murder. Or D, murder. the key to catching a killer in Michigan, D. resting in the clickety-clack Garcia, who has to go through a massive flash drive's data. I am going to say it has been a while since we have really had to focus on Garcia. Been since Penelope. That we really, I mean, yeah, we've had sure. little bits and pieces of her, but they, they've they sort of been throwing her in just sort of like, shoot, we got to figure out how to throw Garcia in for, for a few episodes now. <laughs> so with that said, let's focus on Garcia this week. She's got to do some clickety-clacking. Choice D is my answer. Choice D is your... On a uh, hard yeah, drive. Finding that massive drive with an elephant's amount of memory on it, and therefore she's got to yes. crawl through it. And... Uh, you know, certainly, I can't promise that we won't see Garcia clickety clackety next week. But we're going to Texas, where a bomb has gone off. Jeez, oh, come on! <laughs> I swear, I get it down to the two, <laughs> Every AJ. Every time. Every single time. <laughs> what glitch of fifty-fifty? Wow. I mean, yeah, I would love to see okay. all these episodes, but, you know, that's why I write these. <laughs> yeah. Preach it to the choir, my friend. Uh, yes, yes, we will. We will definitely uh, <laughs> have an interesting an interesting episode. Um, uh, yeah. 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 Just leave it at that. Leave it at that. I'm not right. no spoilers. <laughs> uh, that you know what? That was great. I enjoyed it so much, AJ, as I do every week. And thank you. That's the show for Peace this week. Peace. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Felonious Pundits. We really hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us. Hey, why not? Um, at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Oh, what may man within him hide, though angel on the outward side. William Shakespeare.